I have to start with a big thank you to everybody who supports this show. It's January. We wrapped up our fundraising campaign at New Year's, and we hit our goal of raising $500. This is huge. Thanks to you, this year is off to an amazing start. We are now able to make website improvements and purchase editing software to make the episodes sound top-notch for your listening ears from here on out. If you are new to the show, the best way to support is by becoming a monthly donor for as low as $5. Thank you to our proud Stutter monthly supporters. I'll call out a few. Dustin Wells, Josh Compton, and Wayne Engerbreston. Any contribution is incredibly appreciated as Proud Stutter is 100% listener-funded. Go to proudstutter.com slash donate to make a contribution today. I'm Maya Chubkov, and I'm a woman who stutters. Welcome to Proud Stutter, a show about stuttering and embracing verbal diversity in an effort to change how we talk about it, one conversation at a time. Welcome back to Proud Stutter. Our co-host for today is my very good friend, Andrew Minigat. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Our guest is Stevie Soul, an award-winning beatboxer, vocalist, and multimedia producer from Detroit, Michigan. Welcome, Stevie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before we get into your stutter, I wanted to ask about how it was growing up in Detroit, which has such a rich music history, and if that had any influence on, on you. Yeah. I mean, you know, Detroit is a beautiful, beautiful city. Um, I feel like it's a bit underappreciated these days. I mean, it probably goes without saying that the Motown era and Motown music in itself really influenced me so much. And a lot of things happened here. You know, techno, house techno music kind of started here. And there's a lot of musical, you know, a lot of elements of rock and roll. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a pretty big musical history here and um, around a lot of awesome inspiration all the time. And did you gr- grow up in the city or outside the city or I grew up in a city called Redford uh, Redford Michigan which is just outside of Detroit cool yeah I I know a lot of friends that live in or near to de- de- Detroit and a lot of them are artists and just very creative people so let's talk about your stutter yes. you had a love and passion for music very early on in age can you talk about what it was like growing up with a stutter and how music played a role in in all that. You know, growing up, when I would try to say words, I would always get caught up on the first letter and could never push the full word out of my mouth. And so my my older brother's name is Billy. So I would try to say Billy and I'd always get caught on that B. And, you know, people that stutter, we all have those certain letters and certain words that really get us. And B was a tricky one for me. So I would attempt to say Billy, and these, these sounds kept coming out. In the, in, in the example of bees, there was this sort of bass drum sound. So I noticed that with several other words and letters. So I just kind of took these, these sort of strange sounds and arranged them into beats and patterns. And that helped me understand set, uh, sentence structure 
and helped me kind of understand my internal rhythm. It was just my little technique of working through a word and working through my stutter. And through that, I discovered that I, I, I could beatbox, that I had this little edge. You know, I started, I didn't really know exactly what beatboxing was when I was younger, but um, I knew I loved music. I loved recreating and singing jingles on TV and commercials like that, that, that I would hear. So there was something there and it just kind of all clicked. And I was able to kind of take a lot of those sounds and arrange them into those beats and patterns and mimic other instruments that I would hear on TV or on the radio. And that, again, was just my little personal way of working through my stutter. And that's how I discovered I could beatbox was kind of through the struggle and um, really helped me with my timing and my pacing through conversations in school. Because as you know, you know, communication is everything. And um, all of this was happening around middle school, which was just a very judgy time for people. So uh, I discovered I had this really special thing. And by beatboxing, I was able to like put on little shows and performances for people to sort of take attention away from the stutter. And that was my, I guess, my trick, my thing. That's kind of what I did to, to deal with the stutter privately. It was the thing I could look forward to. It was just this thing that I loved doing. I definitely covered my stuttering as I was younger. As a young guy, the last thing I wanted to do was point out imperfections. It just wasn't something I felt comfortable doing. And it wasn't until I got a bit older and my dad it kept, kept encouraging me to like live your truth, tell people about your stutter. And that just helped me feel more comfortable and confident with sharing my story. And then eventually, even to, to like to these days, I'm very open about talking about my stutter. And it was just such an important part of my childhood and, and how I got to where I am as an artist as well. I love that answer. That was amazing. And I think um, when you were doing like the 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 repetitive consonants I was like oh my gosh that is like I can hear the beatboxing kind of inspiration as you were saying that and I think it's just such a like such a cool connection of points because so much beatboxing has to do with um those those repetitions and as I've been getting more into sound and music, cause I always thought I didn't really have an ear when I when I would sing in choir. I I um, was often uh, I often wouldn't sing full outs because I knew my pitch wasn't as good as others, and so um, I just always thought I like music really wasn't my strong suit until I found editing podcasting and. Now I'm starting to find out that maybe I do have some, like maybe my ear isn't as bad as I thought it was. And so I just think like there's so much creation and music that, that we can really use to spread more awareness about stuttering and to really make it okay for certain sounds to be accepted. So I'm I'm wondering if that like resonates with you and if like your stuttering experience has made you tap into me the type of music that may not be the norm yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's this uh, 
inherent tempo with stuttering. And so that you, to your point, there's like something there. And I, and I, I, I'm, I'm really grateful. I discovered that when I was young enough to understand timing and tempo, because as a producer, as an artist that has helped me a lot. And as a beatboxer, I'm a lot of times expected to keep the time in a performance. So like the same way a drummer would be able to keep the timing stuttering really gave me like, I always joke, like it gave me like a, like a supernatural ability at an early age to understand timing and, um, tempo and pace and a lot of like mechanics and technicals that, that, came from my stutter um i'm still dealing with it i still deal with it so i i'm there's this there's like this constant metronome or tempo in my brain always clicking away and i'm just trying to like ride that wave and kind of ride that melody and ride that timing stevie you mentioned uh when you were in middle school it was you i think you used the word imperfection and you said your dad helped you uh, a lot along the way uh, what was it like just with the classmates were there any particular classmates that sort of helped you and were you know, similar to the way your dad was helping you? You know, I didn't know many people that stuttered growing up or beatboxed. So I was uh, kind of on my own in that sense. And I was a little bit shy and embarrassed. There's no doubt. I mean, um, but my way of kind of countering that was performing. And I think when people realized that I beatboxed, that gave me that a connection to people. And in that age, and I remember tapping on the desks and beatboxing in math class while other kids would sing and rap along. And that collaboration and that feeling of like laying a beat down and someone rapping and singing over top of it was just like the most magical feeling ever and it almost like i feel like all my fears just sort of like fade away when i was in the middle of a performance and you know other kids are walking up and they're all huddling around and that whole kind of thing um so kids started embracing me and, and encouraging me to they'd always say do that thing you do because like beatboxing i don't think people i didn't like brand it as beatboxing i would just like bang on the desks and like sing songs and stuff like that so they always want me to do that and that was that feeling i'm always like chasing that feeling and that's why i love collaborating and live performing um because you know just, there's just something beautiful about collaboration and it always just kind of brings me back to that warm fuzzy place where i got started and um and um kind of found my voice you know you know obviously like a lot of times it takes an artist a long time to find their voice well, it's with someone who stutters, it takes even longer, like not even their voice, but even their sound. It took me a while to figure out my sound. I was always kicking around different genres and styles and ideas to see what felt right for me. And it just took me longer naturally because I, I stuttered and I had, I was dealing with that as well. So once I got it, I really just kind of lasered into that and sort of this raspy R&B blues kind of palette of sorts and really just kind of ran with it and tried to make that make the most of it. Yeah, that's really awesome that you were able to find something that you could really use your stuttering to your advan advantage and also find s something that br brings you joy and 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 happiness. Like it, it took me a long time to find kind of my footing as far as my career goes. I was really unhappy for a long time and I think a lot of it had to do with just me not being able to be authentic um and and myself and it just like a lot of um just a lot of hiding I think who who I am and how I, I talk was definitely a big factor in trying in finding my footing career wise and I I actually want to shift to 
Andrew, but because I I liked your question about how it was like stuttering in the classroom because I know you you've been a teacher for a long time and I'm just curious what your experience has been like as a teacher with students that may have some speech differences. Yeah, you know, I, th- I think before your podcast, to be honest, I'd, I'd never really thought about it. Uh, you know, we, we all have habits and I think one of my habits was for sure just to, you know, create an environment as best I could where a student can trust me. And so if I couldn't understand a student, I would, you know, ask them to repeat themselves or maybe, you know, we're going to pause for a second and take a deep breath together. But that relationship, you know, differs from student to student. So what I did to create that environment, uh, so, you know, that individual could communicate their, their voice, um, buried, but yeah. Over your experience teaching, did you ever encounter a, a student who stuttered or had a speech di- 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 difference? There's there's definitely a student in this most recent year that had a stutter. Um, and, you know, we had our speech pathologists at the school uh, observe the student. Uh, and that was one of the things that came up in one of the actions we took. And, you know, with, with this experience, one of the things that came up was, uh, you know, is there a possibility that there was trauma involved? Uh, the individual, when prompted, could slow their speech. Uh, and I forget how the speech pathologist really was framing it, but when whatever she was doing, that individual, that student could change the way they were communicating and was able to speak more clearly uh, without the stutter. And so, yeah, that just became one of those things that in, in the education field, is that something now I should be looking for? You know, the, the possibility of there's been trauma or is trauma happening uh, for this child in the school, outside of the school, in both settings? So it was just uh, sort of this big moment for me of, you know, now what do I what do I do with that and and how do I what are the processes who do I need to go to who do I need to talk to to make sure a student is you know feels safe in the environment of the school and is getting the support they need yeah and I think that's a really tough scenario one stuttering is so like nuanced and like each person is has a different journey when it comes to, to their stuttering so like one approach might work for one student, but then it might not work for another student. And I know there's so many different ways speech pathologists are taught. And so I think there's still a lot more we need to do in order to, one, prepare our speech pathologists to help with all the the, the nuances around stuttering. One area is just um, like exposing students to different um exposing students to different forms of expression so like with stevie like yours was music and beatboxing maybe another one is painting or like all of these different things where it's like you don't necessarily have to communicate using your your voice i think there's so much potential there of true of like really helping students feel a certain way through these different um, areas of, of expression. And for you, Stevie, it was music and beatboxing and really channeling that 
stuttering rhythm that you had towards music. And so I'm I'm wondering if you can paint us a picture of how you got to that point of transition. You know, I had some great teachers that really encouraged me and helped me through. It kind of worked with me really intimately and kind of just gave me that that special nudge or that feeling that kind of just really helped me. And, you know, it's, it's a big confidence. It is really like a big confidence game, I think. I started in middle school. I think right around the time I got to high school, I would like sneak into the computer labs and start searching human beatbox and starting to learn that maybe this was an art form. This was a thing that I could take take more serious because I already knew people were asking me to do it. It was something personally I loved and and you know how but I didn't know anyone that beatboxed or really in the music industry even at that point so I didn't know it was like a viable thing could I even be a performer how would that even work but just like anything like any other industry music industry you kind of got to carve your own path and find your own angle I, I kind of had that luckily by the time high school came around I had this purpose and this thing that I, I had this desire to want to learn more music and want to perform and, and want to do it so yeah, I remember going to humanbeatbox.com and okay player and there was a guy called Lee J. I don't even know if he still beatboxes anymore and he might be from the from the Bay Area actually but um I remember like obsessing over this video he did he did this like intro where he kind of introed himself every time and so I it just gave me a lot of opportunity and I had two older brothers that also you know they picked on me a bit but they also really encouraged me and supported me and taught me a lot I have an older brother Billy who I mentioned earlier with with the stuttering he was seven years older than me and he was a music producer and a DJ. So I was already kind of exposed to that. And I'd go down into the basement and all, you know, him and all his friends were down there, you know, making songs and recording. And I just remember kind of like sitting down there mesmerized by the whole process and thinking, well, I can't wait till they give me a shot or whatever else. And sure enough, they did. And it was less about my stuttering. I think that like the main thing was when it was less about my stuttering and more about my performance and my art, that's when I knew... I was onto something and that was really more personally for me was kind of meant the world because I just was trying so hard to get out of that. I don't want to say rut. I just, it, it was like, everything was like clouded by my stuttering and like my, my confidence and everything. So I just, the fact that now I have this thing that I love and I'm passionate about and people are recognizing me for it just gave me this extra boost to just want to keep going and keep doing it. Uh, so, you know, someone told me that to plug a guitar or sorry, plug a microphone into a guitar loop pedal. So I would like loop my voice. And that opened up, oh, that's when everything changed for me. Because before I could only, I was only able to like perform with what I could physically do with my mouth at one time. But now I'm able to like loop myself. And that just, and that's so stuttering. It's so meta stutter. Like I'm, I can't believe it. I'm like, it's just so weird that I'm looping myself. And it sounds, it's very reminiscent to me stuttering. So it's almost, I'm listening back to it like, but at a certain point, it was it was just beautiful. So I could just lay drums down and then add a guitar on top, and so I could, and I could keep that going. I could add a guitar on top and then a bass, and 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 then I could sing over top. So I just saw that I, it really it was almost like a, I opened up sort of this like Pandora's box of like now this is like it almost was the next step for me. Like you know, because I could perform and beatbox to a small group, but now I'm able to like produce music and create songs and sketches and skits. And that just really helped me again, just like further my love for the craft and, and my understanding of, of the whole thing. Stevie, what do you hope, are there any feelings or thoughts that you want your audience to 
or is that your music to evoke in your audience when they're listening to your to your music? In depending on the context of a performance, I often share my stuttering story, and then sometimes I don't because when someone will look me up, it's once you look up, kind of look me up and read my bio, then you quickly realize that that I stutter. Or sometimes I'll save it for the end of the performance, so I'll do this whole kind of mesmerizing thing, and and it's all with my mouth. That's the, I think the, the last thing people assume is that that I have a stutter. So I always kind of wait to kind of reveal that. But you know, I just want I just like building awareness about it and just normalizing it. I guess if that's what I can do, that's I mean more than enough because you know everyone has varying degrees of stuttering and, and how and how their stutter is it just sort of like this, this spectrum i learned at a pretty young age that i can't just because this process worked for me it won't work for other for other folks and and even when i you know try to teach other kids how to beatbox or other folks that stutter it, it there's it's it's it may not be as easy for them or they don't have that kind of internal you know how, how like you mentioned you don't have an ear not everyone has like a musical ear of sorts and that may not be the best way for them to come to kind of you know to kind of work through their stutter but I will say it's really fascinating. Usually, one if I do share my story about stuttering, at the end of every performance, there's at least a set of a couple parents that come up to me and say their their kids are stuttering, their kids are dealing with stuttering, and you hear a lot of from or kids will come up to me and, and tell me that they're stuttering or they're that it's so it's just it's just fascinating. You just never really know who's dealing with certain elements, and so it's just been really cool to see how I I can. Um, maybe give them a new perspective uh, on it because I, I learned like, like like I said that you know it's not for everybody and my process it won't be for everybody but at least they can um, just maybe look at it through a new lens yeah and isn't it just the best feeling when you discover a new stutter that's either like senior show or like was touched by something that they heard on about you you know like I just feel like that there's no better feeling than that and it, it, it reminds me of like, I'm so happy I, t- I told the story. So Andrew, kind of to your point, I'm like, yeah, I, I want to tell, sometimes there's, it's not a, there's not a great context to like stop. If I'm doing like a upbeat, fast set, like to stop and share my life story, it's not like an appropriate context, but any chance I can, I try to just for that. Cause I feel like it's, it's, you know, that's sort of my, it's my truth. It's, uh, it's one way to kind of just normalize it and, and help push that narrative out. I I share that urge and that wanting to find a lot of opportunities to normalize stuttering. I try to do that as much as I can in my day job where I'm exposed to a lot of different types of people and I get invited to speak at conferences and every opportunity I have, whether it's meeting a new group of people or speaking to a big, you know, big crowd of people, I always try to at least mention that I stutter either at the beginning of my talk or however I can. And actually, the most recent work conference I went to, I did preface my talk and said that that I I stuttered and someone approached me afterwards and said oh I stutter too and so now we talk we email and we're in kind of the same space and it's really nice to have other people who work in the same kind of issue area as you to also know that they stutter because it just helps you 
keep going and know that you have you have people who understand you which leads me to my next question what was the journey like becoming a successful independent artist and producer so sort of out of high school i started putting sets together traveling and performing and i quickly realized that the best way to showcase my talent and um present myself is through video because like as a beatboxer it's good to hear me and kind of physically see me that's really the sweet spot when it comes to kind of selling myself so as but as an independent artist i had to kind of do everything so i quickly realized that video was like uh the future not only for me as a performer and as an artist but really you know um as a marketing tool for for kind of everybody so i really became really obsessed with um, video production and video. It was because of how it helped me and how I thought it could help small businesses and, and sort of other things. So I was, and that was always something that I was kind of hyper aware of when I would watch commercials and see the way music was integrated into films. Like there was just something about film that was like, to me, the ultimate art form. It's like all of these elements coming together in perfect harmony to tell a story. So I always wanted to get involved in film and, and, and video. And I didn't really know how to. Same with music. Didn't really know many people in that space. And, you know, at that time, consumer cameras were kind of transitioning. Like a lot of people could get a DSLR and they could start filming and the, the point and shoot camera. I was trying to figure out a way to get into video space as well outside of my music talent. Like I thought that I could maybe work for an agency. I had a lot of creative ideas. I wanted to really do that. Um, then I quickly realized I didn't really know how to do that. But the one thing that that I did know was sound. Think about this as a as a beatboxer. My whole performance is me with nothing else, pretty much like acapella into a microphone. So hundreds of performances that I've done, if the sound isn't right, then the whole performance sucks really. And it's, I, as a performer, have really no control over it. And so I just became obsessed with the, the perfect sound as a performer because everything else could be perfect and I could just be, performing into kind of a crappy mic and it's just this, the sound is awful and the experience is bad. And that has happened way more times than I want to admit really. So I noticed when I started tinkering with video, I realized in the video world, it was the same with video. 90% of the time getting the perfect composition and the perfect framing and everything's perfect. And then they'll take, you know, five minutes to think about sound. If you're watching something and it flicks up in, in the visual blurs or, or, kind of tweaks out or whatever it could be a creative choice and you can still roll with it because it's just visually it's kind of part of it but if the sound tweaks or messes up you're you're instantly pulled out of it and so that was something I was just constantly learning and observing and so my way of getting into film was like maybe I can start running sound on, on productions and that could be my way of getting in to the film game and kind of understand what aspects of video production I like and so I started doing that and then I quickly realized that I, I loved producing. So how is video producing different from just the sound producing? Um, like video producing consists of scheduling, budgeting, organizing, getting everything together to make that production happen. Where music producing is a bit different. It's more of arranging and composing the actual music and bringing the elements together. But as an independent artist, I mean, I had... I had to do all that stuff for myself. So I really was pretty organized. I was pretty good with a budget. I was, you know, pretty disciplined. So I thought like, I quickly realized that that would be a good role for me, you know, and something I really wanted to, to kind of get into. 
So sound was that way into it. So I, I, I ran sound on, you know, dozens, if not, you know, plenty of productions and small commercial projects and web projects until I was able to start filming and producing bigger projects. A, a small group of us were kind of working as a department for a bigger company. And nonetheless, in 2017, we sort of rolled out into our own production company. And all of those years of independently working on my own projects and running sound on smaller productions really gave me a unique uh, perspective and position at the company to kind of help start to start growing that kind of small startup production company. And, you know, now we're, you know, a larger company doing sort of national campaigns and national projects and I'm balancing this world of, you know, my video production and music. Did COVID impact you and your company? And if if so, how? I got to say, I'm really glad that I kind of diversified my portfolio, if you will, by working in video production. Because once COVID hit, of course, live performances were out the window. And that was a really tough two years. I mean, it's even still tough now. Things are kind of slowly coming back. But... A lot of people I knew, booking agents I knew, or artists I knew, or venues that I were, a lot of things are, the whole landscape is so much different. So as an artist now, I'm tasked with kind of rethinking my, my artistry and then also rethinking an age-appropriate content. Because as I, I'm in my mid-30s now, and as, as I get older, um, trying to do music and art and, and content on the personal music side, that's kind of you know age-appropriate and that feels right for me as an artist at this point in my career um, it is something I'm sort of working through as well. And what's the production company called? Woodward Original. Yeah. Is that, uh, come on, lay it on me. <laughs> Former street where uh, my buddies and I used to live and no I, where I met my aunt. <laughs> no way. That, awesome. And no, I know. You know, Woodward's like one of the main sh streets in Detroit. It's like one of the first roads in in the country. It was really where like Henry Ford rolled out the Model T and like pushed it down. <laughs> so it's it's a pretty iconic it's pretty iconic in Detroit and it's it's cool to hear that you also have a connection to it. It's pretty iconic in San Francisco too. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We made it all the way to the West Coast. I love it. We'll have to in include both streets in the show notes so everyone can see the comparison. Maya, before we go, can we ask Stevie to Drop a beat for us. Hey. Hey, Maya. Hey, Andrew. <laughs> but yeah so yeah 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 and you know you can check out my work at steviesoul.com it's all there shows upcoming gigs uh past projects all that good stuff uh well this was so fun um thank you both so much for joining me and talking about so much cool stuff stuttering education teaching music all the things woodward street <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I just, I'm, I just feel so grateful to, to you both. And that's it for this episode of Proud Stutter. 
This episode of Proud Stutter was produced and edited by me, Maya Chupkov. Our music was composed by Augusto Denise, and our artwork by Mara Ezekiel and Noah Chupkov. If you have an idea or want to be part of a future episode, visit us at www.proudstutter.com. And if you like the show, you can leave us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Want to leave us a voicemail? Check out our show notes for the, the number to call in. More importantly, tell your friends to listen too. Until we meet again, thanks for listening. Be proud and be you. Be you.